Hey guys, and welcome to the Money Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Johnson. You know, this is probably going to come as no surprise, but surveys say that fights about money are second only to infidelity as a cause for divorce. So what's the right way for couples, married or not, to deal with money or to talk about it? Well, as far as I'm concerned, there isn't one. I've, I've read, for example, that couples who refuse to combine their finances can never be completely bonded. Hogwash. My wife and I have been very happily married for 10 years. Our money is completely separate. I've also read that it's important to keep at least some money separate so both parties can have a sense of independence. That sounds reasonable, but it's not going to depend on the parties. Bottom line, anyone who tells you there's one correct way to mix money in relationships, and there are plenty of experts who do, is just plain wrong, at least in my opinion. As far as I'm concerned, there's only one thing that's universally true when it comes to money. Secrets are a bad idea. My wife and I don't combine our money, but we do discuss it often. So when and exactly how can we discuss money with our significant others without causing friction? How do we get on the same page and how do we stay there? What do we do if one of us is a spender and the other one's a saver? Are differences about money just something couples have to learn to live with? Well, that's what this week's Money Podcast is all about. In honor of Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about how and how often you should be talking to your honey about your money. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquette. Hello, Miranda. Hello, Stacy. Listening in and sometimes contributing is our producer and novice investor, Aaron Freeman. Hey, Aaron. Hey, how's everybody doing today? And this and week, Valentine's we also Day. have a special guest, Pam Kruger of WealthRamp.com. Pam's an old friend of mine. I don't mean old. She's old. I mean that we've known each other a long time. Hey, Pam, how are you doing? Huh. Let's face it. We're getting old. Uh, it's great to be <laughs> with you guys. I love you guys. Hi, Stacy. Thanks. And that's true, because while we're recording this, it's my birthday. I was just so going to I was just going to say old. that, Aaron. Oh, you, you, happy birthday. I, I think we have to sing, don't you guys? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Oh, that was really good job. Make a wish. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> oh, just, we have the best studio audience. They're, they're so awesome. Uh, now, before we, before we get going, guys, let's do maybe a quick disclaimer. Should we discuss specific investments in this show, do not take them as recommendations because they are not recommendations. Before you invest in anything, do your own research, make your own decisions, and more than any, more than most important of all, do not ever sue me. It's really important. Okay, okay, guys, let's get to our topic. Now, Pam, this was your idea to bring this up. So I'm going to start with you and ask, well, wait, let, let's clarify who we all are here. Okay, we got two men, both married. Now, are you, are, I know that Miranda's not married. Are you married, Pam? Okay, so we got two single chicks and two married dudes. Um, and all, all age brackets are, well, not all age brackets. Uh, I think Miranda and Aaron are in their 40s. You're still in your 40s, Aaron, after your birthday, right? Yeah, he is. And then Pam and I, let's just say, are a little older than that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, that's who we all are. Now, let's talk about how we talked w about money with our significant others. Pam, you were saying something before we started the show. What was it? I forgot. Oh, gosh. Okay. So, yes, it's Valentine's Month. Not Valentine's Day, Valentine's Month, February. But <laughs> oddly enough, it's also Divorce Month. Yeah, there really, really is. There really what? is such a thing as divorce month. I don't know who comes up with this, but the reason is because this is when the divorce filings are up the most. This is the really? January, February are the months when people file for divorce. We could talk about the good news. And we could talk about the bad news because the good news is there are ways to, you know, obviously take care of your marriage and prevent money from being the biggest argument. 
Um, and then there are ways that if it turns out that you are looking to get a divorce or you're thinking about that could happen, you're separated, what have you, there are some huge expensive big mistakes that are so avoidable but people have to know about those in advance so we got both sides of the coin cool i'd like to hear about those actually now that i've been divorced twice and it's too late but um <laughs> I, I, but let me ask you guys this though before we get into the subject in depth have you guys had experiences where money came between you and your significant other like I mean you've argued about money uh yeah kind of i have uh when i was married my ex-husband and i got married relatively quickly and relatively young. And so we didn't really talk about money before we got married. And what ended up happening was we found out later that we had just different priorities when it came to things we wanted to spend money on or how we wanted to use our money. And one wasn't right or wrong. It was just they were different priorities, but they didn't really, you know, for instance, like we both were like, oh, yeah, we definitely need to save for retirement, right? So we got to put some money aside in retirement accounts and we'll set up our retirement accounts and prepare for that open IRAs, all that kind of good stuff, right? Well, Makes we never sense. talked about what would that retirement look like, right? For me, retirement would, I mean, and I've obviously uh, changed and, and, and everything else and just live my life and don't really care about retirement that much. But at the time, like for me, retirement was like, oh, yeah, I would like to um, travel more and, and everything else. And for my, uh, for my ex-husband, retirement was like, I would like to be able to just sit, or sit around on a beach somewhere, do nothing, just like chillax, you know, um, have a, you know, or have a big TV. And, you know, I'd be like, uh, he, he likes, you know, want to have a big TV, have this experience at home. And I'm like, I would like to have an experience outside of the home. <laughs> like, you know, so it was just different priorities. No, neither of us was right or wrong. It's just, we had different priorities. And so it was harder to like harmonize our money goals. Okay, okay, cool. I, I have a comment on that. First, let me ask Pam. Pam, have you have you experienced conflict uh, around money with partners of yours? Yeah, I mean, to some extent, but I get a kick out of Miranda. It's like she, your husband wants to watch the beach, and you want to be at the beach. That's cute. That's that's <laughs> it. Really is cute. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of complicated. I think that in the long term relationships that I've had, and one that I can think of in particular that spanned over, you know, uh, more than six years where we lived together, um, I do think that we were very different, but it wasn't for the reasons that you typically hear about, where one's a spender, one's a saver. In this case, he had a huge trust fund, and it was like hanging over his head. And frankly, and without getting into all that, you don't. Have, we don't have to get into all the details. But the the real issue with it was it was so big in his life, and it dominated everything that he did, and it bothered me because I didn't feel he had any financial freedom. Weirdly enough, because he was going to get this huge trust when he was hitting a certain age, and it really dominated our relationship, and that's kind of the reason we broke up. It's, it's interesting you said that because I was just going to ask you guys too, and I'm going to get to you in a second here and ask you the same question. But um, it, it um, I, I've thought I think that when people have arguments about money, it's because there's not enough, and yet you just created a situation where there was there was conflict because there was too much. I mean, kind of, I guess, right? So, Aaron, you you have arguments with Sonia. I know, I know. The, we we hang around with Aaron and Sonia, my wife and I. So they're friends of ours. I've never seen you guys argue about money, but do, do you guys have conflict around money? 
Um, well, let's let's just say, as I've said on this podcast many times, my previous relationships really bombed hard because I was a spender. So I was the bad person. And, and doing that, I, it's a very selfish act to be the spender because you're not thinking about, oh, well, what's, what's the other person want to do with all, with our money? And on top of that, you're just blowing your savings. So, um, so I'm at fault there, but since I've been with Sonia, yeah, I mean, all of that's been curbed and she's put me on the right track and, and got me thinking differently. But the only thing I think we, we probably go head to head on is that we tend to do more things that she likes more than what I like. You know, she <laughs> listens to this podcast, right, Erin? <laughs> She already knows we have this discussion all the time, but I'm fine because the thing she wants, to, the thing she wants to do is really fun. So I enjoy it. So it's, it's, it's kind of mutual anyway. That, that's funny. You said that because uh, you said that you usually end up doing what Sonia wants to do. Let me put it this way. I always end up doing what Sarah wants to do. Now, and by the way, Sarah doesn't listen to this podcast. Yeah. See, Miranda, yeah. Miranda and I are taking notes. <laughs> I'm well, not. Yeah. I don't plan to ever get married again. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. Oh no, I'm happy. Like, well, that's the thing, right? That's that's the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is it's fine to be single and happy. I am actually very happy single. I don't have anything against men or marriage. I'm just very happy single, and um, I have lots of other things of interest and people to hang out with that I don't feel the need to you know, get married again. Maybe it'll change in a few years. We'll see. But, but if, if you don't get married, you can't go all the way. I don't understand. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, let, let's quickly change that subject. Um, when when do you think it's important to, I mean, obviously it's important for, for a couple, a married couple to discuss, or people living together to discuss money. What When do you think this enters into a conversation? I've read, and I'm sure you guys have too, that when you're dating somebody, you should like one of the first questions you ask, you know, is are you in debt? You know, do you, do you make a sufficient income? When do you think you want to bring up this sort of thing? What do you think, Pam? Well, I think that when a couple is, is, you know, getting together, they're learning about each other, you know, that, you know, I, like you said, I love what you said, that there's no right way to do anything here. But, you know, common sense kind of tells you that you do want to have a sense of, you know, what the spending patterns are like, what the habits are like, what the money around the behavior around money is like, you, you know, without being too nosy, you want to get a sense of, you know, does this person have a lot of outstanding debts? You know, like with with Aaron, I mean, Aaron, that's pretty cool that you you kind of are a reformed spender. It's a twelve step program, right? And and now you've gone through that, and now you're you come out the other side of that. But I mean, when you were younger and you're doing what you're doing, I, I think that you really want to get a sense of what it's going to be like if you are going to live with this person and you're going to have a lifestyle together that's blended. I mean, no matter how you slice or dice it, even if you keep the money separate you're going to be blending your lifestyles. So, you know, all the questions that would pop up and arise asking early, not in a, you know, interviewing kind of a way, obviously, but just, you know, kind of getting a sense. And would it turn me off if I really felt like the person that I'm falling in love with, ooh, I'm just finding out now that he's created all these problems and has, you know, creditors and, you know, a bankruptcy and so forth. Yeah. You know, I, it would be a, a huge red flag for me, that behavior. What about you, Miranda? Deal killer? Because, I mean, the one thing the four of us have in common is that we're all financial writers. 
Um, well, Aaron's a financial videographer, but whatever. Um, we, th we're interested in this topic, in other words, uh, and we're and we're very cognizant about what debt can do to destroy people's lives. So now, so Miranda, deal killer. We're on our first date, and I say, God, you know what? I just I never pay my bills at all, and I just you know I'm in debt, and I have student loans, and my behind on my mortgage. Deal killer on the first date. Um, I mean, if I guess it just sort of depends. Well, I mean, you know, everything's a deal killer for me. I don't want to get married again. <laughs> um, but like, but I, I think that for me, it would be more like, okay, so are you talking about problems you've had in the past? Or are you currently in a state of not paying your bills? No, well, the, the credit state, card I'm using to pay for this date is stolen. <laughs> right. That's a deal breaker. No, uh, but no, seriously, though. But it's like if we're talking and, and there are some serious money issues and they can't handle their stuff, like I have no desire to be somebody's sugar mama. That is not what I'm about here. And so... um so, yeah, so somebody who can't handle their stuff, um, yeah, that's going to be kind of a deal breaker for me because it's like, okay, well, like I like to travel. I like to go on vacation and I, and I don't have a problem if you make less than me and it's like, okay, so because like I have travel partners that we go on vacation and some of them, like I, one of them makes close to the same amount of money I do and so we split things 50-50. I have another travel partner who makes a little bit less than I do and so we split things more along like... Uh, like more of a, it's more of a, um, it's more of a 70, 30 split because I make so much more than he does that I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm good to like handle 70% of our travel and he contributes 30% and he's contributing a percentage wise based on how much money we both make. And I'm, and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Oh um, my gosh. Um, you have a spreadsheet. <laughs> this is fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you even know this? I mean, do you, at, oh, I don't at have what a point in your relationship with this person <laughs> did you, did you say to them, how much do you make? I mean, how do oh, you yeah, know you make more than them? <laughs> well, I knew I made more than them to begin with. But when we started talking about traveling, because I, I, I've just stopped being I have stopped being a shrinking violet when it comes to talking about money in in whatever. And so when he was like, hey, let's go on a trip together, I was like, well, let's talk about how we're going to divide up the expenses. Like, I know that I make more than you. I don't need to know your exact. I'm like, I don't need to know your exact salary and see pay stubs or whatever. But like, can you give me a ballpark so that I have an idea of how we want to split this up? Because I and I was very straightforward. I'm like, because I'm not paying for this whole thing. Like, I'm just not. I'm not. I, you know, I've got other people who are happy to be travel buddies with me. And so I'm happy to hang out with you here at home. Go on shorter trips if you want. Like, we can go on like less expensive trips, road trips around our area. Uh, but like, I was very straight up. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not paying, I'm not paying for the whole thing. And so I was just very straight up. And so, you know, he gave me his ballpark and I was like, great. So this is about what it's like. And, um, and it, and it, it's been fine. It's been good. And, you know, so, so just being upfront about it, I think is really important, especially if you're going to have any sort of relationship, right? Like these aren't, romantic relationships i'm having with my travel companions or oh, my friends yeah, that's not the same thing but but it's still important to talk about money and who's paying for what and how we're dividing it up yeah and making yeah. those plans that makes sense i'm feeling like um when i look at the whole being upfront and so forth to me going into this big relationship for the rest of your life you're getting married you are married or maybe you've been married for decades 
to me, what I hear over and over and over from people from experience of years of being around this is ignorance is never bliss. No matter what, it always comes back to bite you in the butt hard. Um, and I think that that's because as you get into your relationship, living together as partners or, you know, really, you know, tying the knot officially, at some point, you know how it is, people just kind of develop their roles in in the marriage. And, you know, rarely are two people co-CFOs in the household with the investments and all the big decisions about what they're doing with their you know, biggest money decisions in real estate. They usually don't do it equally, but they do end up sort of delegating. And, yeah. you know, one person tends to do one set of tasks. The other has settled into another role. And, you know, that, you know, that's really what happens. And if there's no discussion that's happening between these two pieces and there's kind of like a, um, a fork in the road, then each tends to get on its own separate, his or her own separate track. And that's where things can really get messed up and be resent, cause resentment. You are absolutely right. But I mean, well, I said in the intro, you know, could, the one thing that's universally true is that you got to talk, period. I don't care what it's about. I mean, even if it's, you know, money, I don't care, name your topic that you have a conflict on, you have to talk. If you don't talk, you're going to grow apart. If you grow apart, you're going to get divorced. Anyway, let me let me do this. We're going to come. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, I've got I put together, cobbled together a list of specific things that will help you talk with your honey about your money. I'll, we'll be right back right after this. Okay, we are back. <clears throat> now, I, do you guys do you guys put together? I, I'm always I'm an accountant, so I'm always putting together a list of things, you know, bullet points. Uh, so I, I put together a list of some things that would help you. Before I do that, though, I was going to tell you a story that when my wife and I got married, she's 23 years younger than me. And so I was, I don't know. Well, when we got together, I was like 50 and she was like, I was like 49. She was like 26, whatever. But we've been married for 10 years. So I was 56. And we talked about the obvious. The, the most obvious thing you talk about is kids, right? We're not going to have kids because I'm too old. Um, but we, you know what we didn't think about? Retirement. Didn't think about it at all. So now here's my wife, 43 years old, in the prime of her career. She's a nurse practitioner. And here I am, 66 years old, ready to spend some of the money I busted my butt making for the last four decades. And, and we didn't think about this because I don't want to travel alone. And she doesn't want to quit her job in the middle of her career. And so what we're doing now, as I said before the break, we're talking. How do we do this? Is there something that she can do where she's working for free and therefore not confined to a job? Uh, for, in other words, she can take as much time off as she wants, like working for charity. Um, is there something she can work, like she, maybe she could do teledoc and work from Japan, you know, if we feel like traveling. So we're, we're working this out now. But I'll tell you, though, of all the conversations we had before we got married, never thought about this problem. And here we are. Well, it's kind of difficult to see that far ahead, you know. Well, we talked about kids. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it is difficult to, to I mean, what, it shouldn't have been difficult. It seems simple to me now. But it didn't, it didn't occur to me then. That's not really talking about money. It's really talking about time more than it is money. But because money is not an issue. <clears throat> it seems like you're talking about, you know, talking about lifestyle. Lifestyle is funded by, you know, your incomes, your money uh, that's coming in. How long are you going to work? How hard are you going to work? Um, you know, you could have been surprised, Stacey. You were probably sitting there saying, oh, God, I hope I'm not going to be surprised when I hear the answers to the questions I'm asking about how she envisions retirement. Um, but, I mean, you might have been surprised by the answer. It could have been, look, I want to start a business. 
you know, when I'm 50, I want to stop working as a nurse practitioner and I want to start a business. And you might have been like, oh, wow, okay. Um, I didn't see that coming. Um, I, but I do think that there are, you know, these, these points along the way in the marriage where the payoff is huge because you have talked about it. And, you know, obviously, like we talked about, you know, the younger just getting married, um, just understanding each other's money behaviors and habits. It doesn't mean you can't live with a spender or you can't live with a frugal penny pincher, but you have to know that in order to be able to navigate it and, and manage it. And then people, when they get to mid-career, this is where, you know, you've got life becomes layered and complex because you've got kids, you've got mortgage, you've got dogs, you've got, you know, everything combined now. And this is where I see, personally, I talk to people all the time from WealthRamp who talk to me about, I was the stay-at-home mom, I've been the stay-at-home mom, and I was working, but I let go of the reins, and I let my husband, because he's in the financial industry in some way, take over all the investment decisions. So all the 401k, and I'm kind of taking care of the day-to-day, and that is where without discussing the big money decisions and leaving out the spouse who says, oh, I'm busy, I'm at home, I don't have time. Take an interest is what my advice is for anyone who's a stay-at-home parent who is not driving the car or even in the passenger seat with the investment decisions. You know, really try to stay in the car and look through the windshield with your partner so that you see what's coming because by the time you're later in life and you're about to retire, which are the biggest money decisions with the biggest consequences, you know, this is where you could be strangers and you that's where the resentments could have built up because you didn't know that investment decisions were made that you would not necessarily go along with. You didn't realize you weren't, you know, you didn't really look at the tax returns and then something happens to your spouse and boom, you know, you're, you don't know where anything is, state planning documents, all of that. So talk about stress that can be avoided. The stress yeah, can true. be avoided just simply by, you know, really. You, you actually, Pam, were bringing up something that is this, is this source of stress between my wife and I that I totally forgot about. It's not really stressful because we don't get really mad at each other. But I'm telling you, because, I mean, you know, I'm a huge stock guy. Um, if you've, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that, my wife doesn't have an idea. Not only does she not know anything about it, she doesn't care about it. I'm not criticizing her. She's, I mean, she's really good at, at health care. You know? So in our house, it's real simple. I take care of the money. She takes care of my health, our health. Uh, but, but I've said to her before, I could drop dead. And, you, and this, I've got 30 different stocks. And, you, and I'd really appreciate it if you take a little bit of interest in this. Or else I'm just going to leave it all to Humane Society. <laughs> and, and then and she laughs because she knows I won't do that. But, you know, it's hard to get somebody interested in something they're not interested in. And it's not, it's not that she's stupid. She just doesn't care. Right. But watch what happens when something happens. Because this is where I get the phone calls. Sometimes I get the phone calls from, um, you know, a husband or a wife. who it can, Sometimes it's the wife who will call me and say, um, I am... I need to get my significant other involved in these discussions, Pam. How do I do it? Because I'm so worried that I'm not going to be around and I'm going to leave, you know, completely leave them um, in the lurch when the time comes. They won't know about the investments. They won't know where everything is. Um, <clears throat> just yesterday, 
I was sitting outside on a sidewalk in San Francisco having lunch at a cafe. Sitting right next to me are three women, probably in their late 60s, going into their 70s. And they're talking about their mutual good friend for like 20 minutes about how lost financially she is and how stressed out she is. Sure, her husband died and she was grieving. And now it's like she she just feels like she's out of control. She doesn't know if she's going to have enough money to last the rest of her life. She has no idea how to invest that money or understand how he was investing it. So, um, you know, that's where the stakes get really high. And did you pull up a chair, Pam? And, I didn't have to. I was right next to him. I mean, to the point where I felt <laughs> no, like I was in the conversation. Here's what you do. Tell her this. <laughs> but, you know, you guys, we're getting through this podcast, and I, I want to bring up some things for people who are wondering how to do this, because we're talking about ourselves, and I'm sure what we're saying has some value. But let me give some bullet points that I picked up, because I worked on, on collecting them. So I, I want to give some, and I want you guys to chime in or or add things of your own. So if you're giving someone advice, if I'm giving someone advice on how to talk to their significant other about money, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, I'm, number one, talk, well, actually, here's number one. Do not be threatening. Do, do not say, because, you know, a lot of problems that you have in a relationship, and I've had lots of them, uh, problems and relationships, um, <laughs> it's, is when you're, when you're talking about money, you might be talking about something else. In other words, you might be saying, you know what, you don't carry your weight around here. I get more. I get to exercise more authority because I make more money. You might have all kinds of hidden anger, mm. and it and it's coming out in this relationship. And it doesn't have to be about money. It could be about lots of different things, right? So if you've got resentments, you need to clear those. When you're sitting down to talk to your spouse about or your or your partner about money, be open, be honest, do not be judgmental. If you are judgmental, the conversation is going to end, and it's not going to end in a nice way. So that's number one. Uh, number two, talk about your goals. Uh, it, it, what, what do you want to accomplish? I mean, like if Aaron and Sonia decide they want to go to Egypt, which they did a couple of years ago, I mean, if that's a goal, now this is something we can work out together. And we, we may have to get a few a, a fewer lattes in order to get to Egypt. But now we've created a goal that we can work out together. And then, when, and then we, can, we can aim our, our spending accordingly so that we achieve that goal. So that's important. Um, also... Be, you know, first thing you want to do too. One of the first things you want to do too is admit your own faults. Like for example, if if Sarah, my wife, was spending too much money, the first thing I would say is, you know what? Sometimes I'm so tight I squeak when I walk, and that's true. I mean, I'm I'm a tight guy, you know. Because I've done stories about saving money for forty years. I've done five thousand TV news stories about how to save money, and so it's hard not to become cheap. I mean, just just the other day we went to the Rolling Stones concert, and um. My wife wanted to go, and she said, "You want to go see the Rolling Stones?" I'm like, ah, "I don't know. They're you know they're old and it's expensive." And uh, she said, "Well, you know what, Stacy? You told me that we that we're rich." <laughs> and I said, "You know, we are kind of." And she said, "Well, then we're going to get second row tickets to the Rolling Stones," and that's what we did. Uh, so my point is, admit your own faults first to to disarm the the person you're talking to, and then you can bring up other things. You guys have any comments about any of this stuff so far? Good advice. No, I think that I think that's all good. Um, I'm a testament to um, not talking to your honey throughout my 20s and 30s, which I think is what ruined everything. Uh, I can't remember a relationship where uh, a girlfriend talked about buying a house, and I pretty much ignored her. And a week later, that relationship was over. Mm. Um, she weren't listening to what they wanted. Yeah, yeah, because it just wasn't. I just money was not on my mind. But mm. I think 
you're talking about uh, getting into talking about retirement and stuff like that. I think you got to keep in mind that the universe loves plans, you know, like it's in, uh, you have all these great plans, but then, you know, throws you all these curveballs as well. So it's, it's good to have those, but at the same point, keep an open plan. Um, the other thing is uh, compromising is the biggest thing people need to learn. I think when it comes to not just, just talking about what you want to do, in the near term, in the far term, but also making sure that you learn how to compromise with your partner. Um, because you both have, you, regardless, everybody's different. So you're gonna have different ideas. You're gonna have different ways you wanna spend your money because you're individuals, you know, even though you're together, you gotta find the compromise. So for an example, you know, in early relationships, I would just buy stuff, whatever I wanted, buy a truck, buy a motorcycle, whatever, I, I didn't care, it was my money. Never thinking about, you know, what does she want to do? Does she want to get a house? Does she want to go on a trip or anything like that? And now with Sonia, we're always thinking of the compromise. You know, if you want a motorcycle, well, why do you have to buy a new one? Why don't you just get a used one? And and uh, my wife wanted a $20,000 blue diamond forever. She's just been dreaming about it. And I keep going, well, you know, you know, all the you know stigma behind those kind of things. Why don't you just get a man-made one that looks just as pretty and they're way cheaper? You know, and these are compromises that we keep making to uh, to further that these goals that we have. She said no to that though, didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> so no, she, she's, she's turned. Listening. She's turned the cheek. She's turned the cheek. <laughs> you know, just for a second, Stacey, put on my financial planning hat for a minute because Aaron mentioned you know plans are all all the best laid plans. And I'm going to tell you that without a plan um, at all, to be able to, you know, flex within that plan and the in the four walls of a plan, um, you're you're going to have a rough go, I think, if you don't have a plan because the plan forces you to discuss unless you do it all on your own, without your partner involved at all. But plans need to be implemented, and you and plans are dynamic, right? They change all the time. So your life is changing all the time. Things you can control, things you can't control. So that means that you have to be discussing how to implement your plan at intervals along the way. So imagine that you are just doing that in isolation because you're assuming that your spouse is just not interested because your spouse has said to you, I'm just not interested. And that's how divorce happens because there's just no communication and no connection between the plan that she thought that you, you, the path you were on, that she imagined that she wasn't involved with and the actual plan that you're actually implementing. So you've got to make those decisions together. That's great advice too. And you know, we're, I'm going to go ahead before we, before we stop, cause we're about to do our question. We're running out of time, but before we do, I want you guys to know there's another thing you can do too. And, and this is where Pam comes in. Pam owns a business called wealth ramp and it, it hooks you up with financial planners in your area. And I'm not going to do a giant commercial, but I've known Pam for 30 years. And this is a great, uh, a great business that she has. And it, it lines you up with, uh, it, it helps you find, you fill out a questionnaire. It helps you find the right financial planner for you in your area. And they're, they're all fiduciaries. That means they have to put their needs, uh, your needs ahead of theirs. Uh, and so if so another thing you could do, you could bring a third person in. Uh, and, and I'm not necessarily saying you it has to be a, 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 um, a financial planner, but that is an idea. You know, if you want to create a plan, the financial planner can help you do that. And Pam uh, can help you find one at WealthRamp. So there's your little commercial, Pam. Yeah. I mean, uh, if, it, if it's the final point I'll put on that is if it's done correctly, and you bring in the right financial advisor planner who has experience with couples, then the fee will pay for itself. 
because that that's implementation good. of that plan will be discussed with both of you, whether you like it or not. That's good. But I think it's a good idea to have a third person involved. And so what I'm suggesting here now with Pam and you too, Miranda, is that when you guys ha- develop any sort of romantic interest at all, I want you to put the guy on the phone with me. Uh, so that I can g- go through some questionnaire, questionnaire with them to make sure that they're that yes, they're adequate Dad. for you. Yes, Dad. <laughs> okay. Will do. I'm feeling like sure. this is probably not going to happen. <laughs> okay, let's get to our, let's get to our question. I think this is Miranda. You've got the question today, right? I'll read it for you. All right. Okay. This comes to us from Zoya and Pam. You're welcome to hop in here too anytime. And so are you, Aaron. Uh, uh, this comes from Zoya. Real estate question, please. My husband and I have a mortgage on our home, approximately $60,000. We want to leave our home to our nephew. It's a Freddie Mac mortgage, I believe. Can our nephew just continue to make monthly payments on our mortgage, or must he get a new mortgage on his own and qualify for it? What do you think, Miranda? Yeah, so this is kind of an interesting one. Um, So first of all, you have to talk to your lender. You need to find out if the mortgage is assumable. So that's going to be your first step is figuring out. I think they said it was an What's well, that loan? So, well, said, so it's it's going it's going to be. Yeah. So they said it's the Freddie Mac, but they'll have to make a they'll have to make arrangements with the lender. You can't just kind of do it. The other thing you're going to need to do is um, add your nephew to the house if you want him to have ownership of it. You, if you want to add him to the deed, um, you'll need to file a quick claim deed to change it. But you need to do that you know, under the auspices of your lender understanding what you're doing. Basically, the the key here is is communication with your lender to find out what process they prefer as you go through this. Uh, Aaron, anything to add? Okay, well, to understand the whole thing, when you're assuming a, a, a mortgage, you're, you're trying to assume the original terms of that loan. So if the terms are really good, so let's say if the rates are really low, it's an awesome thing to do. Um, if, if you can get a, if the rates are high and you can get a better one, you're probably going to want to refinance. And the other thing about assuming a mortgage is that you're, you're going to assume it with that lender. Um, so you better be okay with that lender. Yeah. I, I'm just going to toss in that also remember when mortgages, you're assuming you're walking in and stepping into somebody else's, um, mortgage with the same term. And, you know, you've got that lower interest rate, which is great if rates have moved up since then. Um, but if home values have spiked, which they have, you've got to be aware that the difference between the market value of the house and the loan value, there's a there's a big difference there, and that has to be funded. So that has to be discussed about how you're going to do that. Do you need a second mortgage, or how does that get covered? You mean if they're, if they're like selling the house to the nephew, you mean? Correct. If it's going to be a sale where they're going to yeah, want to well, actually they want to leave it to them. Yeah, they're going to leave it to them in their will or something. But, you know, the, yeah. back in the day when you guys were, not not Pam maybe, but when uh, when Miranda and Aaron were in, were in elementary school, or maybe before their parents even met, I don't know. But anyway, um, you, there were, most loans were assumable. And now, now it's rare for loans to be assumable. Typically, VA and FHA loans can be assumed. But remember, when you say assumed, you're obviously taking over the, the mortgage. But you have to be approved by the lender to do that, generally speaking. So you're, you're going to apply for the loan, essentially, yeah, to you take still, over you that loan. You still have to apply. You still have to have good credit. Um, you may have to have a, a down payment. For conventional loan, most conventional loans have a due-on-sale clause, which means you have to pay off the remaining right. balance. Yeah. However, there's a couple of laws. There's there's a 1982 federal law and a 2018 consumer finance protection that 
gives even convectional loans that anybody who's inheriting or gifted, uh, the the lender still has to go through the whole process of allowing that assumption. Right. You don't get to you don't get to assume a loan just because you showed up and fogged a mirror. You've got to be able to qualify right. for that loan. Right. Uh, but and this this can be a complicated area too. So I would I would also urge because we don't know what kind of mortgage this is. He didn't say. So you know you can you can look it up and see what the different things are. And you know one of the things you could do too is just look uh, at the mortgage at the mortgage paper itself at the at the mortgage loan documents. And you can uh, if it's assumable, they usually have something called an assumption clause, or, or they may alternatively have a due on sale clause which means it's not assumable. So if you look through the, the mortgage paperwork, you may be able to find that for your particular mortgage. Zoya, I hope that answers your question. I am afraid we're out of time, guys, but you know what? We are never out of topic. Dig a little deeper. You're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes, and I mean lots more. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is Miranda Marquette, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T, Com. And you can visit Pam at her website. You heard me say it a minute ago. Here it is again, wealthramp.com, wealthramp.com. Got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest? We would love to hear from you. Email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one final thing, if you like what we do, do something for us. Subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends too. Takes you two seconds, helps us out a lot though. So if you like it, show us and subscribe. I'm Stacy Johnson. And I'm Miranda Marquette. Earn the money with your honey, people. <laughs> and Pam, go ahead and say who you are, too. Pam Kruger, WealthRamp.com. Love being on your show. Thanks. Thanks so much for, ha- for being here with us, too, Pam. We love you. Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. We're going to see you right here next time.